Welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast, time now for our weekly review show. So we're going to be looking at titles that came out in the comic book world on Wednesday the 7th of April 2021. It was a pretty massive week, tons of potentials for, you know, pick of the week, we'll get into that certainly more and more, but yeah, really stellar week, so a really good discussion uh, on the way. Your host is always Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, now open for Click and Collect. Delighted to be joined uh, this evening by, uh, first of all, Keith. How are you, sir? I am doing doing well. I'm. Uh, I got I got my jab at the weekend, so uh, that was nice. Feels like things are are moving forward on the uh, global pandemic front. Um, so that was that was nice, and then as a result of it, felt like I had a, a sort of low level hangover the rest of the the rest of the weekend, and I'm I'm kind of a wee bit tired yet. That could be because. I may have had a low-level hangover the rest of the weekend, um, but it's, it's always it's always hard to tell. But uh, but yeah, it was kind of a kind of a chilled out weekend as a result. Um, you know, we caught up on uh, on all the usual goodies: uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Invincible, and uh, we watched a fantastic uh, Jessica Chastain movie called Molly's Game on Netflix. Uh, that was a that was a good one. So uh, so yeah, and uh, of course just a raft of a raft of reading last week was a fairly big, uh, big week for me. So I managed to get everything more or less finished off uh, for today. And of course, it was a late week last week as well with the with Easter. So managed to get uh, everything finished off um, more or less. I've still got uh, there's a couple. I've still got Beta Ray Bill to finish off, which was from the previous week, and that was a result of your uh, your recommendation, Alan, as well as uh, Team Titans Academy, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Thank you very much. My recommendation slash shaming you into reading Better Ray Bill after I, I said, if you're into Thor and you're into Marvel, there's no excuse not to be reading this. But no, I hope you enjoy sure it. Enough. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, uh, so good to hear from Keith. And also this evening we have Paddy with us as well. How are you keeping? I am very well. Uh, yeah, same as Keith. A nice, nice relaxed weekend. I've I, I done the, the grand total of absolutely nothing. I uh, don't think I, I, I left the house once. Uh my niece stays on a Friday, so we had fun watching Falcon Winter Soldier and not so much fun watching Thunder Force, the this Melissa McCarthy superhero movie that has just landed on, on Netflix. She loved it. Claude is 10, I think. And uh, yeah, she, she was sitting laughing and giggling the whole way through it, whereas I was, God, put me out of this misery. You were groaning uh, the whole way through it? Pretty much. <laughs> Well, that well, and disappointing size, you know that. <sighs> yeah. Another butt joke. I heard plenty of those as I watched some of WrestleMania over the weekend, and some of the commentary was terrible. It so WrestleMania this weekend was over two nights, and they actually had it in front of twenty five thousand people, but it was in an outdoor arena. When it was about to kick off on night one, it pissed down with so much rain and thunder they had to delay the start of it by forty minutes, and one of the commentators called it. WrestleMania, and it was. Just, I, I almost, almost turned it off at that exact moment. But, but yeah, that was a uh, that was a brief moment of respite in our weekend. Vicky and I were really busy all weekend, getting everything to the store, getting our house back, reorganizing, retidying. Uh, we actually have a house again, and you know, in case you you don't know by this point, but we've been sharing on social media as much as we certainly can. But we are now open for click and collect service in the store. You know, you just get in touch, let us know you're on your way down, we'll have everything bagged up for you, total ready, and then it's just a service at the door. Unfortunately, again, I, I have to stress that we're not allowed to let people into the store, but, 
you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes in the next couple of weeks and maybe that will change. But for the moment, it's just genuinely nice to see people again down at the store. We had, you know, 10 or 11 people down on Monday uh, and then tomorrow being new comic book day. We are, of course, recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, hopefully a, a nice week crowd tomorrow as well. So Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays if you want to pop to the store and pick up your weekly pools. So yeah, that's pretty much everything checking in with us. We'll flick through a bit of news as we always like to do before our inevitable 10 minute chat about the latest episode of Falcon Winter Soldier. Uh, there was some news that just broke actually just a couple of hours ago that we're going to kick things off with, which is Skybound, which is uh, sort of an imprint of image that was founded by Robert Kirkman. Uh, it's celebrating its 10th anniversary this uh, July and they've announced that there's going to be a five issue limited comic book series titled Skybound X uh, or is it Skybound 10 you know we're, we're back to House of X and Powers <laughs> of 10 right here Keith what is going on but uh, it looks really really interesting yeah so in the series fans will get to meet Clementine of course well known from Telltale's The Walking Dead video game series this is going to be a character that's going to be in The Walking Dead world for the first time on the comics books page the story will also elaborate on uh, the alternate ending presented by Kirkman and Ryan Otley in The Walking Dead 75, which will be here uh, by a five-part tale called Rick Grimes 2000. Oh, I remember when 2000 seemed like it was the future. Um, <laughs> it, still, it still seems like the future to me. Get over. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's going to run weekly for those five weeks. And, you know, in terms of Skybound Talon working on it, you've got... Uh, Robert Kirkman, Ryan Otley, Tilly Walden, Donny Cates, Joshua Williamson, Chip Zdarsky, James Harron, Daniel Warren Johnson, who will all contribute stories from the best Skybound series, past, present, and future. So, you know, we we talk about it frequently on here. We're huge fans of Robert Kirkman. Pretty much everything the man does is is you know turns the gold, and he just he loves the industry, loves playing with the industry, loves celebrating the industry. So, when I saw this come out, I I got really excited about this. Uh, I may have put it onto our document with four exclamation points so uh that shows my level of excitement anyway <laughs> i uh i hadn't really it, 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 the, the news is so late breaking uh that i hadn't really really seen it i've never played the walking dead uh video game but i am very familiar with rick grimes of course um so i mean is, is it some sort of a some sort of a crossover then or it's essentially oh, like an anthology tale, so it'll be different stories in each one, but it's, uh, you know, the first, the front cover of issue one, for example, is like a futuristic Rick Grimes holding what looks to be a lightsaber with zombies in the background, you know, so... Interesting. You, you can't go wrong with that, and uh, yeah, there's just tons of creators are going to be uh, contributing to it, as I just said, and, and obviously we'll go into more detail on this when it hits uh, previews, which should be for the next previews, but... But each issue is going to be oversized. I mean, issue one is 52 pages. Uh, issue two, three, four, and five are all 44 pages. So something to look forward to there, definitely within the comic world. Uh, another title that got announced recently, which I know will be certainly right up Keith Street, is uh, A Return for Moon Knight. And surprise, surprise, it is not actually Donny Cates writing it like everyone thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jed McKay on that uh, lately of... Uh, Black Cat and a variety of other uh, of other uh, high performing books. So I'll be really interested to see where where he takes this. I mean, obviously, Moon Knight as a property is starting to to, to dig in. We're expecting it's a it's a new TV series, isn't it? Um, and and with some of the casting announcements around it, they're they're obviously going to be starting to spark them up in the uh, in, in the comic world again. So. I, I love a bit of Moon Knight, uh, and I think Jed McKay is probably the guy for the job. 
Yeah, and here's hoping it actually lines up release-wise, you know, a little bit with the Moon Knight TV show and like what they tried to do with Eternals and then that sort of fell by the wayside due to the, the last year, unfortunately. So, Speaking of the TV series, did any of you see the footage of Oscar Isaac training for, for Moon Knight? Yeah, it was uh, fight footage, so it was, of like fending yeah. off like 20 different guys. I mean, Moon Knight to me... He's a character I don't know an awful lot about, Keith. I mean, some people always lazily say that he's like the Marvel Universe version of Batman. I personally always think Daredevil's the Marvel Universe version of Batman because he's just a normal guy. He has heightened senses and that's fair. But, I mean, is Moon Knight known to be a great fighter? Is that one of his key strengths? Yeah, I mean, Moon Knight is Moon Knight's a, a violent fighter. Moon Knight's powers, uh, a lot of... Moon Knight is the... He's, he's, his, he's called a fist of Conchu, and he's the, effectively the 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 avenging uh, vigilante of the god of the moon and the god of travelers, um, the the Egyptian god. So uh, Mark Spector, who was a he was a mercenary, uh, died at the foot of a statue of Conchu in Egypt and was reborn as as Moon Knight. So yeah, he, he his his strength and dexterity and such are affected by the phases of the moon. So whenever the moon is in, in high alignment, as in, in as a full moon or whatever, it he's stronger. He's more powerful. Certainly not up to the level of even Spider Man, you know, or any of those guys. I don't think, uh, but but certainly stronger than the likes of Daredevil or or Batman would be. Um, and then he, you know, he, he has the the reason he gets compared to Batman so often is because Moon Knight has a number of personalities. He suffers from uh, dissociative identity disorder. Um, in a very similar way, I guess, to Bruce Banner uh, or how Al Ewing is now portraying Bruce Banner. And so he has a number of different personalities, but each of these personalities have their own life. And one of those is Steve Grant. Steve Grant is a millionaire. Uh, so Moon Knight has got, you know, the moon copter and he's got a, a French pilot, one of his mercenary buddies called Frenchie who flies it. And he's got all these different uh, gadgets and stuff, including, you know, these um, uh, crescent blades that are, very much like batarangs and such. So, but I mean, I guess uh, Warren Ellis and, and a variety of others, uh, Declan Shelby, um, they they took Moon Knight and, and introduced a few other aspects to that, and you know, including Mister Knight, who was, uh, you know, uh, I guess another personality and uh, the actual embodiment of the God of Conchu. It was all really interesting stuff, and you're always that's what's going to be really interesting about this series is. Is wondering what is reality and what is Mark Spector or Moon Knight's perception of what is going on around him. It's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to take from. There's a lot to take from uh, for a TV series. So exciting stuff. Excellent. Good to hear, and hopefully a solid comic book series to uh, to come along with it as well. So, I mean, just finishing off on some of the comic news. Uh, Keith and I conducted an interview last night. No, Patty, we're not going to tell you who it was. You're just going to have to wait and see. Any clues? Any clues you want to give us? Uh, the only clue I will give you is that it is an artist who is probably putting out the best work of his career on one of our favorite image titles, and that is all we will say. So, uh, but the thing about that is, there's about a hundred brilliant image titles that artists are pumping <laughs> out their best work on. So, I will tell you right now, it's not Martin Simmons. Before you ask, uh, because we know how big of a Department of Truth fan you are, so we won't tease you that much. But uh, it was a great conversation. It was. One of those ones where, you know, it all the way you line it up is all very business-like and you've got an hour of this person's time and then we ended up chatting for an hour and 40 minutes and just 
having a lot of crack and you know as Keith was saying to me today obviously Keith records in his in his flat and his his other halves there and he came out after the interview and she just looked at him and you sounded like you were enjoying yourself in there so (laughs) really good conversation looking forward to editing that I'm going to try and have that out for the weekend I always like to spend a good bit of time editing those podcasts because obviously we're chatting to someone on the other side of the world there's the odd connection issue there's the odd pause that's maybe a bit longer than you would like if you're listening to it so uh but it was a really class conversation i'm looking forward to uh to sharing it with you guys so yeah i mean I, that's what i always find with these alan i mean certainly from our i mean and i hope it comes through whenever whenever you're listening to them is certainly whenever we're whenever we're chatting by the time we're finished you're kind of going oh man I'd, I'd really love to sit down and have a pint with that person you know what i mean and because i mean every creator we've interviewed is just really lovely really genuine sort of an individual and into the same sort of things that that we're into and that's what we're talking about with a purpose and it ends up just becoming a conversation more than a more than an interview you know it's uh really really good fun really enjoyable yeah so as i say keep an eye on the socials and all the rest and we'll we'll certainly announce that just before uh, uh once the pod is ready i should say so so yeah, so that's kind of the comic side of things just very quickly went through. But of course, when we're doing our intro and our news section and all the rest, we have to have our weekly conversation about Falcon Winter Soldier. Every week you have to hear me say it was the best episode yet. It just keeps getting better. And every week you have to hear me say, why is this only six episodes? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think this was possibly the strongest episode. I mean, uh, I'm really loving how they're building baron zemo and i think i said it last week how they're building baron zemo into the character that he is in the comics from the character that he was in, in captain america civil war because they were not the same thing and never the twin would they meet and, and appears now they, they are but uh i mean this was a lot more of an action-packed episode in a lot of ways um it was maybe one of the most emotive episodes i certainly at least on a couple of occasions gasped and was holding my head going no 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 oh <laughs> it was uh, very very good i think i think what they're doing is they are doing a, a great job of building uh building john walker uh wyatt russell's character i think wyatt russell's a fantastic actor uh and i think what they're doing in the show is that they're they're building john walker a u.s agent not in the same way as they did in the comics but by hitting all the same beats in different ways uh you know the the idea that he was, you know, he was he was the replacement for Steve Rogers, and he never knew how to live up to it. He knew he never could live up to it, but he never felt worthy. The the idea that, you know, he got his powers from the power broker, uh, which is which is right there. The idea that that those power th- those powers and that serum exaggerated his the the the, the feelings he already have about himself, the, the lack of self worth, the the lack of self confidence, and the fact that he, as a result, becomes a much more violent version of Captain America. And, I mean, I guess we'll see the results of that next episode. But, wow, yeah, great job. Great yeah, job. Wyatt, Wyatt Russell has been absolutely outstanding. And, you know, just there's so many weak character texts. You know, there was one point when, you know, his hand was shaking and, you know, he had like a, I don't want to say a psychotic twitch, you know, but he had a twitch. And, you know, I think there was even a scene where there they were all kind of walking up the hill and he just him in the background, you watched him and it was just like, you could almost see him wanting to explode. Mm. But yeah, again, you know, that this episode was brilliant. Alan pointed out previously and, uh, 
Wyatt Russell just basically is Harry Kane, the, the sports baller. And it's it's all I can see now. It's every time I look at him, it's like I mean when he opens his mouth he he sounds absolutely nothing like Harry Kane, thankfully. Or we, we wouldn't understand a word he was saying. But again, Alan, you know, kind of you pointed out about the darkness of this episode. The way that episode ended was I think one of the one of the darkest scenes I think the, the MCU or, or TV has done. I think so. I, I, it, it's hard to chat about it too much without spoiling, of course. But you know, Keith and I had a good little chat about it earlier about the symbolism in it and where the sort of you know it's not too much of a spoiler to say where the attack took place. Um, you know, it was on a war monument and this kind of thing. And you know, you think of the modern world and how that's not a moment you're going to get away with. That's going to be beamed all over the world. It's going to go viral. It's going to go this. Going to go that. Um, I mean, my favorite line in the whole episode was that it was John Walker and it was just after the altercation with uh, the Wakandans and he just basically turned to, it's Battlestar, isn't it? Is his, mm-hmm. his, yeah, yeah. And he just basically turns and goes, they're not even super soldiers because he had just had his ass kicked by someone who was just really well trained and it's yeah. not like they had any sort of physical advantage to him and he's supposed to be Captain America. He's supposed to be the best of the best. And it all goes back to what you're saying, Keith, about how he never feels worthy. Yeah, just yeah. that was a great, great character moment. Uh, and I think, I think it's, I think the way they're, the way they're playing it is fantastic because that, that's his, that's his issue is he is, he's, he's comparing himself to, to Steve. He's always compare. He's, he's the only person now to have been Captain America since Steve Rogers. He's comparing himself to Steve, but at the same time, we as the we as the audience are comparing him to Steve. You can't help it. You know, you're you're going. I mean, how many times during that episode did I turn around to Bruno and go, "Steve wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Steve wouldn't have done that." You know, you did it yourself, didn't you? Yeah. You know, and and that is, you know, that's exactly what he's doing for himself. That's where his insecurities coming from. That's exactly what Bucky and 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 Sam are doing as well. Everybody is. I mean, how do you keep? How do you hold that legacy on your shoulders? How? There's no way. And and that has that has that has broken him. That has broken him. Yeah. You know, it's 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 made him. There's there's a lot in there. You know, comparing him to you know a, a championship weightlifter or a, or a, an athlete. You know, who under pressure to perform takes performance enhancing drugs. You know, to try and make themselves better or more equal. You know, and it's just it's just fantastic. I think I think it's 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 great. I love that opening scene as well with Bucky. You know, every word it kind of it brought back a certain memory. You know, if you watch it back, every time she's yeah she's saying a word, the kind of the not the scene but the flash back that, that accompanies it. I yeah, thought it was excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just a, there's only two episodes left. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, that fight sequence as well, where uh, they they basically dismantled Bucky's arm <laughs> with like a couple of touches, and <laughs> just this arm just drops on the floor. And I think it was Sam said. Did you know they could do that? <laughs> it's just really <laughs> class. What it was, was so. uh, yeah, the 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 Dora Malaji are are uh, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, originally, they were originally created by Christopher Priest uh, right. for for Black Panther, I think. Uh, back in the day, um, I think it was Priest uh, created the, and and obviously they followed through then into Black Panther the movie and 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 uh, so yeah, they're they're a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> One question I would have, and obviously with you being our resident Marvel expert, uh, Keith, is Baron Zemo, I mean, in the comics, is he traditionally just a villain of the Avengers or is he a villain of Fantastic Four? Is he a villain of X-Men? I always strike, he strikes me as an Avengers guy. 
I mean, uh, well, the original Baron Zemo, uh, Heinrich Zemo, or sorry, Helmut Zemo, Heinrich Zemo was uh, was a Captain America villain, a World mm-hmm. War Two villain. His son then Helmut, uh, who is the current, it was largely an Avengers villain in that he is, you know, the the, the leader of the Masters of Evil, uh, put together the Masters of Evil, so largely an Avengers villain. But what Helmut Zemo is is. I think I'm getting the names. I think I don't can't remember if I'm getting them the wrong way around or the right way around, whether the father or the son. But but the younger Zemo uh, is well known for uh, creating the Thunderbolts. So he was Citizen V and created the Thunderbolts and that whole thing. So it was that that Zemo that was behind the Thunderbolts, which was his for me his brightest hour. Um, but yeah, largely largely an Avengers villain or or a Captain America villain. I think he's faced Hawkeye as well. So. Uh, so yeah, but he's he's yeah he's a yeah kind of a, a kind of a maybe a yeah comparative to Doctor Doom you know with regard to his 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 villainy mm-hmm. uh, you know but he's someone who has that uh, legacy that legacy of of the Nazis and such never never as closely associated with Hydra I don't think um, but as he is in the MCU but but yeah um, yeah the only reason I ask is because I just think it's such a great characterization I genuinely genuinely hope they use the character further in the mcu but i'm just curious you know given your comic knowledge where he could go if you know what i mean you know would it you know because you can't really have another captain america movie at this point unless you you know you do give the shield over to sam or you know bucky takes it up or whatever because obviously we know that you know the current cap will become u.s agent and so forth so Mm -hmm. i I just wonder where he can go but he's just he's so good in the role like he steals nearly every scene he's in it and the characters just get more and more interesting so uh i just hope we're not seeing the last of him in this show you know yeah no i i i I think i think and i hope we're seeing an expansion of him just sorry just to be clear Heinrich Zemo was the father. Helmut Zemo, who is the current Zemo, is the son. <laughs> I knew you were going to have to correct yourself one way or another. Doing my head, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Falcon Winter Soldier, as I say, two episodes of it to go, and uh, yeah, it's just been. If you haven't got on it yet, definitely do it. There are a couple of guys that we know who are letting it stockpile up so they can watch all six, which I fully understand. But I really do enjoy the weekly chat about it as well and so forth. So uh, mm, I mean, it's. I think we've spoken about it already. I love this weekly. Th- I mean. It, it's, it's, I say it because it's it's something that I used to do. I mean, myself and me, my best buddy Rod used to every every Tuesday was walking home from school talking about what happened in Red Dwarf and Quantum Leap last night. Uh, you know what I mean? And that was so. That's how I was raised. Was weekly. That's what. That's all we had whenever we were growing yeah. up. Was weekly. So the binging TV has has only been more recently. But I love it. I mean, I love the fact that we can we can stand and and, and chat. And if the store was still open, that's what our conversation would be. You know, whenever we were sitting, did you see? Did you see? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's so I love you know. Whereas whereas whenever you're you're binge watching, everybody's watching it at a different time. So you know, and even we've yeah, got a bit what, of a what episode are you on? Oh, so you haven't seen this happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so much yeah, better. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I'm so glad you just said that, Paddy. Because the amount of times you've said, "I hate weekly TV. Why do I not have this all at once?" Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't think I've ever. I, I've never made that claim. Pretty sure you said it after you watched the first three episodes of Invincible. And oh yes, I, I said Invincible would. I think would uh, benefit better from one big release. <laughs> I still haven't watched past episode three. I'm gonna well, keep it, and I, I might s- watch it in increments of three episodes. So I should have. One this weekend to watch. Yeah, I'm obviously still to start it as I hurtle towards the conclusion of the uh, the comic book series. So I think I'm about mm-hmm. twenty issues to go. 
But uh, anyway, we'll move away from that our uh, Falcon Winter Soldier loving and move on to some comics. So again, we're going to be going through the uh, the releases from last week. So that was Wednesday the 7th of April. Uh, we always like to kick things off just by chatting about our totals. So for me, really big week this week. I had 30 titles in total. I had an even split between the DC and Marvel titles. So I had six of each, six DC, six Marvel. An astounding 16 indie. Uh, I also had a hardcover graphic novel as well, which was uh, the release of Dark Knight's Death Metal, the hardcover deluxe edition. And I also had one omnibus this week, which was uh, Green Lantern by Jeff Johns, volume two. Uh, what were your numbers, Keith? Coming up five behind you. It was a, it was a pretty big week for me as well. Uh, 25 titles in total. Uh, mass, well, not massively ahead were the Marvel titles. I had 11 of those. Um, I had nine indie titles and I had four DC singles and one DC trade paperback. That trade paperback was Tom King's Sheriff of Babylon, which I have never read uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to reading. Yeah, it's uh, you're in for a treat with that. So you are. It's uh, it was pretty much the first thing he wrote with DC, as long uh, as well as Batman. That was like his vertical passion project that he wrote at the same time as Batman. So, so of course you wouldn't enjoy it, Paddy. But uh, what was? I was going to say, I just hope it's it, it's better than his Batman run. Oof. You're just in a mood to wind me up today, aren't you? Oh, not at all. Not at all. What uh, were your numbers then? My number is 16 titles in total, 3 DC, 6 Marvel, and 7 Indie. Sweet. So, yeah, so plenty to chew through. And, you know, we every week when we're doing this, th- there are some weeks easier than others where you're trying to pick what your picks of the week are. Sometimes there's one clear standout, you know, whether you're a DC fan, a Marvel fan, an Indie fan. Usually there's one, maybe two massive standouts, but this really was a stellar week across all three. I mean, there were legitimate cases to be made for a DC title being the best of the week, a Marvel title being the best of the week, and an indie title being the best of the week. So we'll go through our honourable mentions, and uh, you m- we might actually point out which ones were very close to the point, the picks of the week as well. There might be a few. But uh, we're going to kick things off with Keith giving us his first honourable mention because until maybe seven seconds before we started recording, <laughs> this may have been his pick of the week. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly true. Uh, Swamp Thing number two uh, by Ram V and Mike Perkins. This was, I mean, as you say, right up until the point that you hit the button, I was I was still struggling to say between Benoist and what, what became a pick. And I guess, you know, the, the other one edged it, maybe because we just maybe had a wee bit more to talk about it between us. Um, and that's always, that always makes for a good for a good pick but swamp thing number two as i say just very very close to being to being my my pick it it's reminded me of of so many things is whenever you read this alan are you are you thinking of uh of that texas blood uh are you thinking a little of, bit with the bar yeah scene. yeah the the bar yeah, scene I mean, between the good old boys so there's there's some some of that western noir stuff, but it's there there's and, and definitely with so much of it taking place across the Sonoran Desert. Yeah. Um. Uh, and that if you're if you were to and there's a, you know, with that Texas blood, there's a there's a mysticism about it as well, uh, and it's almost like they've they've taken that you know Ram V has taken that and turned it turned it right up to eleven, uh, because that's that's very much the case. So, Swamp Thing one and two have followed the trials of uh, of new character levi kamei who who is of uh of i think it's in the indian descent and he is the new or we're, we're becoming aware we're aware he is not aware that he is the new avatar of the green and 
within the, within the Sonoran Desert, the American Desert, there's a, a character called the Pale Wanderer who is all he's oil all oil in his blood and 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 gold nuggets for eyes and he's a, a Civil War veteran that has, he's embodying all those all those elements of of America. You know the I think you know that the idea of the desert and the the oil and war and and that and he is in some way linked, I guess, through the, through that and the greenies. He's linked to Levi, and he's showing him the true nature of what he's becoming, or, or even trying to take him under his wing, and it's you know Levi's trying very much to grab the grasp his, his place, you know, in the in the world. He's he's just come. Levi's a really interesting character. He, I think he was he was born in India. He's he's been educated and grown up. You know, he's been educated in in America, and he's he he is, he's gone home to visit. He lives in America. He's gone home to visit. Uh, to, uh, to 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 Delhi, I think, and and something has happened there. Something involving his brother, the death of his father, some trauma uh, that you know has informed, I guess, what's what's happened here. Uh, and there was some mystic act. Maybe there was some I don't know. Some in fact, we, we don't know. It's all it's it's yet to become clear, uh, and it's all feeding in here. And Levi isn't. He's an outsider, he, you know. He's an outsider in in America because you know of where he's from. He's an outsider at home because whenever he goes home, he's he's that guy who lives in America who's coming home, but he's not he's not here anymore, you know. So he's 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 constantly the outsider, and you really get that you really get that feeling. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just moving. You know, the the trauma that he's going through as he discovers he discovers who and and what he is, and this seems to be. Certain, I mean, it's a it's a ten part series. This second issue seems to be at least the the close of a of a of a, a soft close of an arc uh, as he, he goes up against the 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 pale wonder and and what happens there. We've got uh, we've got uh, I think a wee bit of a connection with Batman here and a wee bit of connection to the to the, the isn't it Ted Holland was the original uh, uh, Alec Holland Alec Holland sorry the uh, the original. A swamp thing so i'm really excited for what the next eight issues bring but it's yeah this, this feels like a nearly like a black label title doesn't it yeah i don't think that's too far gone i mean it is it is pretty dark horror and there's a lot of great imagery through it i mean massive uh shout out for mike perkins on art and mike spicer on colors because Beautiful. this is one gorgeous gorgeous book and it's full of so much great imagery i mean that big explosion of the green that makes it look like a nuclear bomb has went yes, off. Yes, it's cloud, like the mushroom cloud. Yeah, yeah, but it's actually the opposite of that. You know, it's yeah, it's like a yeah. positive thing in the middle of this desert. And then, as you say, the way this world is going to expand at the end, you know, you have Bruce in the back cave watching on very interestingly. You then have this corporation you're being uh, introduced to, and you have that, the Holland phenomenon, you know, file just sitting there as well. So, I, And uh, even, uh, you know, the imagery on the first page where he's almost vomited out of the tree, uh, as he transports, you know, from the desert back to Central Park, and he's sort of he's almost born, yeah, of the tree. You know, it's fantastic. And there's there's always a wee backgrounds where you can see cells and and DNA and uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And it it sort of harks back to Future State Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember how how uh, Swamp Thing had built the entire race of of uh, plant people in Future State? And uh, in between then and now, of Found out that Ram V is his education was as a chemical engineer, uh, so it suddenly all falls into place. You know all of this biological, chemical sort of stuff. That's uh, yeah, love this Alan, loved it. 
Yeah, I mean, even the title page as well, you know, it's just a couple of pages in. It's Becoming Part 2. It looks like an old school sort of 70s or 80s monster movie movie poster. You know, you can actually see the transition between panels, uh, you know, into Swamp Thing. It's just a really well thought out book. Really, really intriguing. Great characters and uh, and just fantastic art. I mean, I can see why it's so close to your pick of the week and... It was already a great issue, but then those extra little nods at the end, you know, obviously I'm a Batman fan, so that really mm-hmm. excited me. Ali Collin, that reminds me of the, the Scott Snyder and Charles Soule New 52 run, uh, which was following Ali Collin. So, yeah, the highest compliment I can give it is it's very, it's very reminiscent of Alan Moore's run. Very lyrical, very yeah. deep, and just really grown-up storytelling, so... Yeah, great choice. I mean, it's I, I can see why it would have been a pick of the week as well. But, yeah. you know, yeah. we've, we've covered in enough detail to be a pick of the week. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we can certainly jump from that to one that was almost my pick of the week as well. And want to know that we're all reading. So we're on to the second issue since Infinite Frontier of Batman, which is uh, Batman 107. So written by James Tinney IV, art by Jorge Jimenez and Ricardo Lopez and colors by Tomo More. So... This really stood out for me this week because this we knew when Infinite Frontier was going to launch that Batman was going to have a backup story of Robin. It was going to be Joshua Williamson's story and Gleb Melnikoff on art leading to a new Robin series. But I, I've been slightly wary of these backup stories, whether they're going to be interesting or not. So when these two are on Batman, there's no doubt that it's going to be stellar. But you just wonder if you're paying that extra little bit and you're getting 10 pages at the back that you couldn't care less about. But this actually had a backup story to match the frontline story so you know this this is an arc very much dedicated to a new interpretation of the scarecrow uh the issue kicks off with batman investigating you know a mysterious scarecrow that's appeared in the mayor's home um so there's that there's there's good story in here with harley quinn as well you know tinian's actually making harley quinn really interesting which continues to astound keith i am sure yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't. I, I think I'm. I think I'm cured. I no longer sort of have feelings of uh, disappointment or anger whenever I see her. Uh, so, so that's good. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I just I, I love how how Tinian, he spends this whole issue relating what's happening in Gotham to what is currently or has recently happened in the real world. Yeah. Uh, there's there's so much of that here. You know, at the you know even in the in the new stuff at the starts. Um, they talk about the, you know, what's going on and and what people actually actually think. You know, there's this uh, unsanity collective who are trying to say that uh, that uh, this citywide panic, who benefits most from it? Oh, clearly it's the government. You know, as the sort of nuts were saying about about the COVID. You know, and uh, and you know the fact that um, purchases of of masks or have have. The online mask seals, gas mask seals have gone through the roof since the since the the A Day attack, you know, and it, it sort of reminds you of people panic buying toilet roll back at the start of the pandemic, and it was uh, you know really really interesting stuff here. I love I love how he's doing that, and it didn't feel like an action packed issue, you know, apart from maybe that scene with uh, Harley and Stabo, mm-hmm. um, but I I just I really enjoyed it. I'm enjoying how. Scarecrow is is clearly influenced and Simon Saint, who will be the the creator of the magistrate, which then echoes directly into Future State. So how much of Scarecrow is reflected in Future State, and we just didn't know it. Uh, really, really cool stuff. The 
the Ghostmaker backup was it was a wee bit cartoony, cartoonier than I thought it was going to be. I think that was, was maybe expecting. in comparison as well to what came before. I mean, Jorge Jimenez art through Batman, he just makes Gotham an absolute neon soaked nightmare that's always raining, always horrible. Everyone's in heavy coats, but there's tons of bright lights. And uh, you just described Blade Runner. He should be doing Blade Runner. You know, you're not far wrong, but only <laughs> as long as he doesn't leave Batman to do it. I would yeah, say, it was really, but... really strong, really strong. But yeah, it was it was already a really impressive. Sorry, Patty. It was just it was already a really impressive issue to me. But as a long term Batman fan, when you get to that last page, the names match. So matches Malone is a well known alias of Bruce Wayne. Yes. Uh, Grant Morrison used him a lot. You know, this is like his underworld persona, and he's spoken about in like hushed tones in the criminal underworld. He only pops up every so often, but the criminals have never figured out that this is actually Batman going undercover. So when you get that last page of the names match, tell your master wise, I want in. That's you know, because it, it always throws up the idea as well that sometimes Bruce does his best work outside of the Cape and Kyle. And that's mm. what he always does with matches Malone. You know, there was great stuff in here with Oracle as well and the Clock Tower. I just think that Tinian's really marrying together brilliantly. Old school Batman, but making it his own as well. You know, he's, he's taking a lot of classic elements in here, uh, but also making it his own as well. And then, yeah, the backup story, as I say, was was a lot of fun with uh, Devil Skull Island and Ghostmaker going there. And Ghostmaker seems like the kind of character that's just so arrogant. He just wants a challenge all the time. And that's what this just seemed to be. You know, you have these different assassins who are being set up to try and kill him. Kid Kawaii, Brainstorm, the instigator, Razorline. The art actually reminded me a little bit of Seven Secrets. Mm, we bet, yeah, yeah. Slightly manga-esque, cartoony-esque almost. But but yeah, just a lot of fun. Um, what about you, Paddy? You were reading this as well, weren't you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. The, the ghost stories... Uh... Ghost Hunter, sorry, storyline took me by surprise. Kind of like yourself, I thought it was going to be a, a page filler, but I, I think the next issue now, I'm more looking forward to part two of the Ghostmaker story rather than the actual Batman story. That is Batman, isn't it? On the, the first page, getting kind of tortured by Scarecrow. The, the keep having that is the inclination. They had that in 106 as well. Yeah. They haven't 100% confirmed it, but the voiceover, no, I think, is, is meant to make you think that it is. Yeah. but it's it's all part of the mystery i suppose as well but yeah i'm i'm just absolutely loving what they've done after infinite frontier you know they've stopped batman being fortnightly it means the artist isn't changing all the time they give game march's own book with joker that tinian's also writing but now jimenez has a full month each time to can keep the quality mm. high because and it's just a using it. book. oh absolutely yeah. um two things does match deliberately look a wee bit like commissioner gordon first thing i thought he, the the idea behind it always was that you give criminals a one or two things for them to remember you about so one of them was always a mustache and the other one was a scar on the cheek where mm-hmm. were always the two things certainly in batman uh, stories in the in the past so a little bit i suppose but you have to remember in this batman continuity commissioner gordon's retired he's a lot older well yeah um, true true so he um is. Second question then, who is the lady in pink that is, or in peach, whatever colour that is, that is watching Harley? She says, you were right, Rex. She is back in Gotham after all. She's got uh, she's got a rose in her hand. She's got two dogs with her that look like they're made of leaves. So I immediately thought Poison Ivy, but she doesn't look like Poison Ivy. It's not a character I'm overly familiar with. I wonder if it's someone who crosses over from Harley Quinn books, because if you think of Harley, she always has the two hyenas. 
you know, mm. with her. So the fact that there's two animals here, possibly. I mean, Tinian's doing a really good job of introducing loads of new characters. You know, I know we bitch about speculators all the time and all the rest, but it almost feels like he's deliberately targeting them sometimes by just creating new characters. And I know Patty had said it for issue 108, there's going to be a character coming into it called uh, Miracle Molly. And I'm always excited by a new character, but the problem is when you're part of Facebook comic book groups and every single store under the sun has their own individual Miracle Molly cover, I'm a bit fed up with the character yeah. before it's even arrived. I think I've seen 15 different variant covers with her on it, store, you know, exclusives, and it's just, I already dislike the character. Well, though that you tend to deliberately expose yourself to these things. I do. That's, yeah that you very much do but what i will say though is that if it gets people more and more people buying batman whether it's for speculation purposes or whatever i don't care because it keeps this mm-hmm. this creative team on it you know so so yeah batman 107 very close to being pick of the week again but uh I, I just went with something else but something else that actually had the number seven in its title as well but we'll get to that uh, I wonder what that could be. Well, we shall see. We shall see. But yeah, it's uh, the last one just to mention from DC was uh, the first part of a new four-issue series. This is spinning out of the events of Future State. So this is the next Batman, Second Son. Uh, so written by Oscar-winning writer John Ridley, who of course did the next Batman Future State title as well. Uh, two different artists on this, which is Tony Aikens and Travel Foreman. Uh, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Rex Lucas. This was a really pleasant surprise. I don't mm-hmm. exactly know what I was expecting, but I loved the secret agent shenanigans at the start. I really enjoyed the family drama of the Fox family. Uh, I enjoyed the uh, the appearance of Batwing, who's a character I haven't really seen much since uh, New 52. I thought this was really, really good. I was, I was genuine. I don't know why I didn't think it would be good, because I enjoyed Future State, the next Batman, but I thought this was pretty great. Yeah, no, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, there was one panel of Grifter in his mask, so that's me sorted, as you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the frustrating thing about about the next Batman and Future State was, despite it being very well written by John Ridley, there was a feeling of being off balance because there was no foundation. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you know, you didn't know where it, where it was coming from, or. or you didn't really know a lot of character, a lot about Jace Fox or the voice in his ear, or you know. And this is that foundation, and it, it's equally skillfully presented. So it's it, it is a prequel, obviously, to the Future State story. We're coming to we're going to understand. I hope by the end of this four issue series, who Tim slash Jace is, why it's significant that he now calls himself Jace rather than Tim, how he relates to his family, you know, and it takes it into the current Batman timeline as well. So. So yeah, all of those things, Alan, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it, um, and we'll maybe see a wee bit more Grifter. It's interesting that uh, Tim slash Jace, two names of two former Robins, uh, Tim Drake and uh, Jason Todd as well, but but even like, uh, it, it had some interesting ideas in it, like the fact that, you know, one or two of the sons are really sort of negative towards the fact you're, you're not a billionaire, you've got all this money, but it, it goes into a little bit about Lucius's reaction to all that and the pressure that comes with it and the invasiveness into your life because you're suddenly rich overnight and people want to know what you're going to do and all this kind of stuff. So it's a surprising amount of depth to it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to Batman books, but I'm a Bruce Wayne guy through and through. So when you get a different Batman for me, it doesn't always work, but I thought this was actually really good. So, yeah, really strong first issue, and it was interesting as well that it was another $5 issue that was longer. 
but it was all this story it wasn't here's two-thirds of this and a backup story mm-hmm. so i was actually glad it continued on longer as well so is he batman then when the, the story starts or is it about how he becomes batman um no he seems to be as as Alan says there are some secret agent shenanigans taking place in Vietnam, so he's obviously got some skills. His brother, uh, his brother Luke, is Batwing, isn't that right? Yeah. Uh, he's like an armored, an armored version of Batman, and I know that's an identity that he's held for a long time. But, but I don't think, I think we're gonna see how how Jace becomes the next the next Batman, I guess. Yeah. I skipped this thing. The reason being is because remember reading it was digital first, and whenever I see. Whenever I see something listed as digital first, part of me automatically thinks that it's not overly important or central to the story. Does that make sense? You know, because mm, I, yeah. I'm kind of the mindset where I think if it's that important, we'll put it straight to print. But it sounds like I'm wrong. I mean, it can go both ways, I suppose. It can be like a testing ground with digital to see if it strikes a chord with the audience. And then once, if it's deemed good enough to move to print, I suppose you could look at it both ways. I mean, there's a a deceased hardcover coming out soon. I can't wait for because it was digital only, which was like at Hope's End or something like that. And it was written by Tom Taylor. So I can't wait for that to come out. So it it can go both ways. Uh, But I do understand your point, as you say, if it's important enough, it's, you know, straight to print. But I think it's just... The comic models just changed so much as well in the last year. You know, obviously everything happened with COVID and printing costs going up and the industry shutting down for a little while and distributors changing and more people reading digital. So I suppose it's just, I mean, you could even look at it just as a, to go off on a slight tangent here. You could even look at it as a way of trying to attract more people to digital comics by putting prestige series digital first. So you could look at it both ways i suppose but yeah no jump on it man if if, if you like good storytelling even like even the intro of it that secret agency type stuff it gave me grayson vibes which is never mm-hmm. a bad thing as well mm-hmm. so uh so yeah next batman second son number one so that's the dc honorable mentions done we're on to marvel now so again some stellar books uh this month or this week as always uh why don't you kick us off keith with the latest uh, exploits of immortal hulk and uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Immortal Hulk number five uh, by uh, by Al Ewing and, uh, and Joe Bennett. Uh, so we're obviously spiraling towards uh, the conclusion of this series at at issue 50. And I mean, this is a masterpiece in both body and psychological horror. And as I say, it is moving swiftly towards a conclusion. And it seems like neither Ewing or Bennett are keen to take their collective foot off the accelerator on the way there, and all the while firing out narrative clues as to the direction of the of the end point. It's definitely not a jumping on point. I doubt there will be any issue between now and fifty that will be a jumping on point. But if you've been following along, it's 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 a fantastic issue. It features um, members of Gamma Flight. It features. The Red Hulk. It features uh, stuff happening in in New Jersey. It features stuff happening in the down below and the leader and and also this is it's great stuff. I mean, there is a a Gamma Flight mini that is spinning out of this, so that'll be the first, uh, and that's going to be co-written by Al Ewing himself. And this also introduces the Red Hulk into the world of Immortal Hulk and and that mindscape. But it's just such good stuff. I mean the. The quote at the start, as there always is, is from uh, from Henry Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and the quote is the lowest ebb is the turn of the tide, and this really is starting to feel like the Hulk's lowest ebb, uh, and hopefully 
the turn of his tide towards uh, towards issue fifty. Uh, this is this is just masterful. Yes, yeah, Immortal Hulk's one of those that I collect, but I haven't read it because I'm missing about four issues early on. So I'm trying to resource those, but I know it's such an amazing, highly regarded run. I've just continued collecting it, but I'm missing yeah. like I think it's like issue three, four, and then like eight and nine or something like that. And it'd be a little tricky to track down so the can, but determined to have that full run at some point. I do have a a number one that's signed by Al Ewing, which is was quite nice from a Oof, a time nice. I I ran around quickly. He was doing a signing in Forbidden Planet. And they didn't announce it at all. That like this amazed me because obviously when we had Clay over, we we announced it about three months in advance, and then mentioned it again two months, et cetera, et cetera. And with the Al Ewing one, it literally came up on their Facebook the day before. Superstar writer, and I closed up mm-hmm. at quarter past five, ran round. I think I was the second last person to see him, um, just because he'd been there for a couple of hours. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I know Immortal Hulk's gonna be gonna be awesome. So I, I just keep collecting it, but. Uh, but one thing I have read the whole way through, uh, again, I was a latecomer to it, but you know, I've I've admitted my mistake many, many times and given Keith credit many, many times, and Roddy, of course, <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah, latest issue of Conan the Barbarian, so issue 20 to hit this week. This is uh, Jim Zub continued to write Conan, who's taken over uh, from Jason Aaron. He's been on it a good seven or eight. I think Jason Aaron was the 12, and then I think Jim Zub took over. Corey Smith on art. Up to this point in Jim Zub's writing, I think that Conan has been very swords and sandals, but not swords and sorcery. Mm-hmm. It very much became swords and sorcery in this issue. This was great. This is part two of Land of the Lotus, called uh, The Bandit's Bravado. Just great, great stuff. Great action sequences the whole way through it. You have you know, a, a budding relationship between uh, Conan here as well. With um, She was with the, uh, the traveling... Um, Neway. That was her name. Yeah, she was traveling with uh, a bunch of bandits and she actually helped Conan escape in the last issue. And now they're on the run because essentially she's turned her back on that. So Conan keeps saying, like, if you go back, they'll just kill you. But the issue takes a really good turn in the middle with uh, a huge battle sequence. Like, this was this was Lord of the Rings level type stuff, I thought. <laughs> you know, and, and Conan gets involved. I did like his little hat that he was wearing the whole way through it as well. That yeah, he even yeah. says himself, I'm not wearing that. It's, uh, I mean, whenever, whenever Jim Zub took over from Jason Aaron, I was worried. I was worried, mm. you know, because, you know, but... Uh, by Crom, I worry no longer. Um, he really has uh, has Conan's voice down, and you know the, the stories have a habit of jumping around the timeline in the same way as 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 Howard's original stories did. But I feel like we've been in this particular campaign with Conan for a while now, from the Crucible to his possession by the 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 tooth of the Night Star, the sword, and then his journey as as a possessed man and subsequent reawakening in these faraway lands that are clearly modeled after the you know ancient ancient east you know ancient japan and uh, so yeah i mean you've got them coming across the band of revolutionaries and this was this seemed equally character driven as well as as action driven you know you start off with that that moment with the tigers or the leopards sorry and then you know as you say the big battle in the middle and uh, definitely very much the flavor that you come to expect from conan and a very cool cinematic ending as well yeah, very much so. It was sort of a show of strength almost, you know, a fight between uh, between Conan and, and one of the bandits that he's now siding with. And they're originally going to have a sword fight. But Conan says a sword fight seems ill-advised against a possible ally. If either of us were maimed, how would that serve your revolution? 
ah, a wrestling match then. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this great wrestling match that takes a bit of a supernatural twist by the end. And well, twist is the right word. I will yeah. say I will say no more. But yeah, just really, really strong stuff. Every issue uh, always goes towards the top of my pile now. So uh, there is a hardcover available. Actually, we we got a few of them in. Uh, which is the complete Jason Aaron run, which was those twelve issues at the start, and I cannot recommend that highly enough. Uh, again, I was a I was a skeptic who became a believer uh, when I read through that. So, I've seen the the first two trades are on Marvel Unlimited, so I'm going to give it a go. Uh, I think it's every issue. I think now gets spoke about on the pod. So, yeah, I, I'll give it a go. Yeah, it's very very strong. Again, I I just said it. I was a skeptic. I just was not a swords and sorcery kind of guy, and. Keith will be happy to know the last God hardcovers out soon, and I'm going to jump up in that because that's sort of the DC equivalent almost of of Conan, without the history, of course, but you know, plenty of world building there. So, so yes, that was Conan the Barbarian number twenty. Uh, I don't think we could have got through this pod with uh, having a quick chat at the very least about Keenan Black number five. So this was probably the most anticipated title for this week, certainly in terms of our pull lists, in terms of people wanting to know a conclusion. Uh, Donny Cates on writing, Rand Stegman on art. Keith and I had a little bit of a chat about this earlier, and I really enjoyed this issue. I thought it was tons of fun. I It did seem a little bit more of a, a style over substance issue for me, though, in that it is one of the most gorgeous looking things I've ever read. But I didn't I didn't love it, if that makes sense. I don't know. I, I would agree 100% with that. I thought Rand Stegman's art was absolutely ridiculous ridiculously good at points uh but in terms of the overall story in the end and i don't know i think it felt a bit rushed i think it was this guy's unbeatable we can't beat him no matter what we can do we can we can't beat him oh we just beat him you know i I don't know if i'm being harsh on it that i have my expectations too high but but that style over substance would would i agree with that statement 100 percent yeah i mean i i think so i think so too i mean Maybe maybe oversimplifying it, saying we can't beat him, we just beat him because they did have Captain Universe, the the Omni Force, the Enigma Force on their side, um, and I did enjoy that exploration of that and and Eddie with the with the, the Omni Force and and that sort of stuff, and the, I enjoyed the Surfer changing his board into a sword, which is kind of cool, and so there was a lot there was a lot to like in it, but yeah, I just it did seem to tie up very 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 quick, uh, and there was yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you You both on that. Um, Which is an amazing thing to say about a five-issue miniseries that had about 920 tie-ins. It's amazing to think that it, uh, it finished up quickly. But but no, yeah, as I say, not, not to sound too negative on I mean, the art is genuinely incredible. I mean, the double-page spread of Avengers Assemble, you know, um, Venom making that weapon out of the Silver Surfer surfboard, a Mjolnir, uh, the pers- you know the the personification of Null the whole way through it. it it was big it was bold it was it was really entertaining I don't know I just I think I expected more I don't know why but I just maybe expected more so. hard to beat the the two pages the two pages of Blade though um, you know Blade who has, has brought all these vampires to the to the party which I think we're going to learn a wee bit more about in the next issue of Avengers but of course immediately the King in Black is defeated. The vampires turn on Blade, and and, uh, and uh, someone, uh, I think it's it's Tony or someone, is contacting Blade, going, "Blade, do you need backup? Do you need backup?" And Blade, they're pushing him to the ground, and he goes, "Nah, I'm good, I'm good." And uh, one of the vampires goes, "Ha, good, hey, 
Tell me, what do you know that we do not? And Blade goes, what do I know? And as the dome around the world opens, you know, <laughs> the, 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 he goes, you know, and the light floods in. And Blade just stands up and goes, what do I know? I know what time it is. <laughs> so is Venom, so is Venom now the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe? Um, I don't think he's, is he, is he still even Venom? Well, suppose um, Eddie Brock is probably a better, a better question. Yeah, I mean the Omni Force has 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 left him. He's not a he is the King in Black. He is in charge of all the symbiotes. But is that is that what made is that what made Null the, the power that he is? I was kind of I was kind of I kind of thought as soon as the Omni Force left, Eddie would die again. Yeah, that's what I, maybe that's what I was expecting. Or but they kind of just sort of i don't know overshadowed that you know but yeah there was a lot there was an awful lot to like and i don't i don't know if it makes him the most powerful character now in the in the marvel universe or where he'd go in, in venom 200 but yeah yeah um a lot of people calling this marvel's best event ever i don't know it was it wasn't civil war it wasn't secret wars i was gonna you say know. side note what would yours be i would imagine your yours would probably be secret wars just for what it meant to you and it pretty much got you into the hobby yeah, yeah, yeah. Civil War's up there as well, though. Uh, definitely, Mark Miller's Civil War was fantastic. I'd put House uh, of M up really high. House of M was good. Secret Invasion, I enjoyed. Um, House of so, yeah. Mars, War I thought. Yeah. Civil War 2 is, uh, <laughs> is spoken about in hushed tones around the store. <laughs> there are some people that actively despise it. Um, House and Pars, I think, is a really decent shout for modern events, simply because... Uh-huh. It created something completely new within a well-worn, established universe. So I was, I was very, very impressed with that. So, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. Keenan Black, just, just as Absolute Carnage was. But the way I look at it is, when I read Absolute Carnage, I loved it. I've got the omnibus sitting over there on the shelf. I've never felt the inclination to pick it up again and read it. Whereas I've read Secret Wars a couple of times, I've read Civil War a couple of times. So uh, you, you just wonder about returnability, I suppose. But. But yeah, so that's uh, Keenan Black number five. And then just one last Marvel one from you, Keith. Yeah, uh, just the usual venture into Amazing Spider-Man uh, with number 63. This, I mean, Spencer Spider-Man is just one of the most consistent books on the shelves, I, I think, certainly for Marvel. Um, and I, the, yeah, I mean, this is this is part one of King's Ransom uh, from the cover, which, you know, has Spider-Man in his still weird new costume right in the middle and uh, Tombstone uh, and and Robbie Robertson uh, on the other side, uh, the old enemies, you know, in black and white, and they're they're two children who are who are lovers uh, down below. It's it's very it's very cinematic, you know. So yeah, I just really enjoyed this. It was high action all the way through, as uh, you know, Boomerang and 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 Spider Man and his new threats and menaces suit uh, try and hunt down the uh, the 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 Lifeline tablet uh, to keep it away from Kingpin and. And uh, and all of the the family stuff that's going on in the background and uh, with with Beetle and uh, Randy Robertson, Peter's housemate, and and uh, there's a there's a lovely double page spread in it where we look at the uh, we look at the I guess the uh, the history of of Robbie Robertson and uh, and Lonnie Lincoln uh, Tombstone. Um, so there's some uh, you know he keeps making these really deep cuts into Spider-Man mythology uh, that that aren't they aren't critical for the story. They just they add to it, and they they make you want to to go back and and remind yourself about about what that was all about. Um, so yeah, just uh, just just great, and and just all frenetic 
spider energy. Uh, I didn't hate the costume as much uh, this time round, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward. To, I'm still looking forward to taking it off. And putting the the proper one back on, of course. Yes, of course, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so Amazing Spider-Man 63 there, just to round out the Marvel Honourable Mentions. So we'll jump into the indie side of things then, and, and same again, there was there was indie stuff again this month that could have very easily been uh, the top choice, but more on that later, I would say. Uh, but yeah, a couple here to mention. Uh, I see the first one was one that you were reading, Keith, it was the last issue. This is one I've collected all six of. I read issue one, Loved issue one, but I've let it pile up now and I'm going to read one to six together. So did it finish in a satisfying way? Yeah, it, it brought a story that had an epic promise to a very satisfying conclusion. Um, we are, of course, you know, talking about Origin number six. Origin number six. Uh, origin number six by uh, Clay McLeod Chapman, uh, Jacob uh, Rebelka on art. Um, it's from Boom uh, Boom Studios. Uh, I mean, it looks lovely. It really, really compelling art right the way through. It really interesting to look at. Um, the story of the last remaining human, David. Uh, the last issue does bring him to the depths of a dark situation, without spoiling anything. Bereft of support, uh, trying to find a way to stand against the network and save, or perhaps redefine what it means to be human. Um, definitely well worth. Definitely well worth the journey um and just great great visual work really interesting engaging engaging visuals uh throughout um so yeah i mean just have to be like david and say tell me the story again because this is one that i would i would pick up and read again um and i'm sure it'll be coming out in trade excellent so origins number six of six Another strong one for me this week, certainly, uh, was Noctera number two. Obviously, I picked Noctera number one as my pick of the week a few weeks back. This is the new image title from Scott Snyder on writing, Tony S. Daniel on art, and just as equally important, I think, is Timo More on colors in this book because they really do stand out. This is a book that I, I was fortunate enough to read a couple of days early. Uh, I had been in touch with Scott Snyder and he's very good about sending out preview copies to stores. He wants you know, stores to get excited about books so that they'll happily recommend them and so forth. And this was a book uh, that very quickly settled the argument as if it needed settled that uh, print reading is better than digital reading for me because... There were some epic double-page spreads in this. There was two pages of Absolute Darkness, which I thought were worked as a really good sort of uh, momentum break in the story. And digital, I didn't get that because it, it might have been just to do with it was a PDF I was sent. I know there are more uh, more sophisticated browsers and so forth you can read digital comics on, but you know you look at that double-page spread of Neon Grove, for example. You know it just it's absolutely glorious, but. But yeah, this issue kicked off. I thought it was a brilliant opening scene to do with uh, a younger Val uh, essentially gearing up supplies because of what's going on and this, this darkness that's settling into the world. You know, she's taking batteries out of remote controls and, you know, she's stockpiling them. Like, she's, I think she's only 14 at this point, but she's already got, like, an old head on her shoulders. Just makes her a really interesting character. There was some great action beats in this one. There's some uh, there's some good moments where Val could obviously turn on the uh, the cargo that she's transporting the the old man who says he can save the world. You got more and more stuff in here uh, from Blacktop Bill, who I think it's impossible not to read his dialogue as Matthew McConaughey. Uh, <laughs> there, I mean, there's a line there which is 
Now, Miss Val, would you be so kind as to hand over the girl and the old man? It's uh, he's like a very old Southern gentleman. Um, great action stuff. I I know that uh, I think you and I chatted about it a little bit, Keith. I know you didn't. This didn't grab you as much as issue one. Now that, of course, is you know subjective because issue one was fantastic, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. No, I and I, I think I put my finger on it, Alan. I think I think it's because it it didn't quite. Ha- the thing that I really loved about issue one was just the the absolute dense and focus on world building, which as you know is just my bag. Yeah. Um. You know. So whereas this. This issue doesn't quite. It does explore a wee bit more of the world. It doesn't quite have that same density of, of world building, but it does focus a wee bit more on the on the characters, uh, for sure. So so maybe it just it didn't have the same the same impact as as issue one, but it was still absolutely phenomenal. Um, totally delivers the goods, and Tony S. Daniels' art is is brilliant. Probably could have done without the double page spread of uh, of of two black pages. That just said miles two four five on it. Uh, probably, I mean, a, a one page would have done, I think, maybe. Um, but yeah, I I really loved it. I really loved it. Really enjoyed it. Uh, really enjoy. Really interested to see where it's where it's going to go. And and uh, I don't think we made the comparison between this and Pitch Black, did we? Uh, whenever we first uh, in the first whenever we talked about the first issue, yeah, but there's possibly there's elements in there, you know, of uh, you know that world of darkness and. And someone being able to see in the dependence and light. Interestingly, on the cover, um, it shows her brother. Uh, I can't remember what do you call him. Um, I can't remember what you call the brother, but it shows uh, him with Emery. A, Emery with a mask on similar to hers, but you don't see him wearing that mask throughout. I was sort of sort of interested. I'm interested to see what her mask does as well. We don't we don't really know yet. Yeah, um, but yeah, look. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, really interested in Val's story and the story of the world and and uh, the story of Blacktop Bill. He seems to be he seems to be sort of the outlier in the book, if you know what I mean. The character that we haven't put, quite put a finger on, and uh, you know, is he something? Is he? He seems to present the idea that there's maybe something else going on beyond what we already know. Yeah. If you know and, what I mean. and he's clearly rich enough that he owns a Batmobile as well, based on that uh, <laughs> double-page spread. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what about you, Paddy? You're reading this I, as well. Uh, I love this. Uh, probably on par for me with episode one. Uh, what Keith said about the the double-page spread, the the blackness. I remember when I when I was reading it, that that's the first thing I thought. I went, oh, what a waste of two pages. But then I think with the brightness on the next page with the the neon grove, I think it works very very well. That's fair. That's uh, fair. Yeah, there's it kind of it it it's it's a great story, you know. Kind of there's a letter in there as well from uh, Scott and Tony where they, where they say that you know you'll be learning a bit more about Bill Blacktop Bill's origin. Uh, tell me this, Keith, did your Kickstarter ever arrive? Uh, it was me that uh, backed in Kickstarter. No, right. it hasn't hasn't come this side of the world just yet. Unfortunately, I was wondering what I had forgotten there, Paddy. I was like, what? What are you talking about? No, no, I uh, obviously this was a Kickstarter book first and they released a deluxe hardcover graphic, which I think is the first six issues. I'm not 100% sure. I backed it that long ago. Um, there was a couple of um, prints to come with it as well. I think one from Jock and I think one by Tony S. Daniel as well. So, But yeah, I'm, I'm loving Nocterra. I, I think it's a really strong title, really unique um, hook to it. And 
but at the same time it's got some well-worn tropes in it that you know you're in good hands and the art yeah, is just is pretty stellar as well so so f- run, or is this going I to be genuinely don't know form? i don't know that that's why i'm i'm curious about how much the the kickstarter book uh, covers because you see snyder can go both ways he's done six issue minis like witches seven issue minis like severed uh 10 issue minis like the wake but then he does undiscovered country which he says he would love to see go for 60 issues american vampires went for a long time obviously the batman run was was 50 50 odd issues so he can sort of do both so I'll, I'll wait and see but i don't think it's ever been announced whether it's just six issues or an ongoing or whatever but one title we definitely do know that is a bit of an ongoing and long may continue, hopefully as long as uh, his other titles. I'm looking at you, Invincible and Walking Dead, uh, with your 100-plus issue runs. This is Firepower number 10. Uh, so Robert Kirkman on writing duties and Chris Samney on art as always. This is the uh, monthly customary mention of Firepower because every month it just gets better and better. This is a, a book that is world-building with every single issue and somehow it works uh you know you've great character moments in here the, the family dynamics between the main characters is is astonishing like the group hug moment where the mm-hmm. brother just runs and goes group hug class um <laughs> but yeah the world's definitely getting bigger here and we're we're edging towards a big massive conflict so we are but we've also got the sort of smaller conflicts with um with previous loves shall we say that are yet to be revealed um I love that. Did did you guys read the conversation between Kirkman and Chris Samney at the back? Yes. I love that on the first page, the first line of dialogue is, I messed up. Because in their interview, Chris Samney says he drew the wrong character for the first two pages and had to go back <laughs> and change it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he drew, he, he drew uh, Way, way London instead of, uh, instead of Magon. Uh, yeah, great stuff. I uh, know this is this is brilliant, and uh, the next issue is going to be oversized, and the last the, the issue twelve is going to be double sized, I believe. Yeah, uh, just to get in everything about the the battle between the Temple of the Flaming Fist and the uh, Scorched Earth Clan. Well, this is the thing. This uh, always felt like a big story anyway. But see, when you get towards the end of the issue, and you get that double page spread of like the endless rows of archers with flaming arrows, and you know the very steampunky looking air blimps being shot down and. Like you're just reading this, going, this has gotten big, you know. You yeah, you yeah, think yeah. back to that first issue where you know Owen goes shopping with his daughter and races her home. <laughs> so, uh, but then, then you think back to the to the prequel yeah. uh, OGM, and uh, this is like it's almost like a retake of that of that fight, but this time Owen and Wylon are on the other side. Yeah, you know, so it's uh, very interesting. No, very interesting. Just a great, great book. Again, gets better with every issue and. And again, if you're not reading it, do yourself a favor and get one. Because down the line, this is going to be adapted, I think, at some point, the way Invincible has been. I think it would suit animation, maybe more than live action. Um, but if it just stays a comic, I'm fine with that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I, I thought I'd just mention again my uh, my grown-up book, as I like to always keep Patty informed <laughs> as, as to what's happening in my softcore porn book, Casual Fling. Uh, so we're up to issue three of this now. It's just going to be four issues in total, so... Uh, written by Jason Starr and art by Talibor Talahitch. And issue two ended with the really intriguing part where uh, the cuckolded husband goes to see his sensei. I got really excited thinking it was going to turn into like a kung fu book. Now it turns out she's a computer sensei who can basically hack anything in the world and they're determined to track down who this guy is. 
And the story takes a really, really interesting turn in the last two pages. Um, so for anybody who doesn't remember what the idea of Casual Fling was, this high-powered executive has a one-night affair uh, with this mystery man. He records what uh, what they got up to, but he wears a mask, and then he threatens her with destroying her life if she doesn't pay him a ton of money. So this issue introduced the idea that she's not the first one that he's done this to, and there's actually been previous occasions where um, he's extorted money out of people. So it's all about her trying to get chatting to other victims. And and it even goes into some interesting ideas. Like the, the cuckolded husband is obviously angry. He's been cheated on. But at one point he refers to his wife as a victim. Even though she cheated on him. And there's, there's a lot of interesting ideas through this book. And how the issue ends is awesome. I'm really, really looking forward to issue four as well. And I know you tend to pick up AWA stuff in uh, in trades, Patty, but definitely do pick this up when it when it hits. Um, I am hundred percent. It's one of the ones that that I'm looking forward to. Although I am reading Redemption weekly, which I'm sorry monthly, which I'm enjoying, but I, I definitely prefer trade reading them. Yeah, I think we talked you into Redemption with how highly yep. Keith and I chatted about it. Uh, so yeah, so Casual Fling number three, great stuff. Again, if you're not on it trade will not be too far away and an awa are great at doing those ten dollar trades or you know nine pound trades so keep an eye out for that in the future and then one last indie one to chat about from yourself keith and i believe patty may have referred to this as the best book out there at the moment oh yes you know, take, take it away patty that those are big words uh, uh, the last which number four uh yeah as soon as i put this issue down i sent a picture in your group chat going i honestly think this is the best book out at the minute it's just absolutely fantastic week on week it gets stronger they grow the amount of characters in the in the book uh this week we're introduced to hugh uh, yes hugh a, a not very irish sounding name for a change uh who is a furry you know this issue goes back shows us a bit more of the the furry war that took place it's it's just it's just fantastic I mean, I think, I think, I think uh, a lot of people would would disagree with you that uh, that uh, Hugh is not a <laughs> is not an Irish name. I think there's, there's oh. quite a few uh, Irish Irish heroes uh, with that with that name. Um, I would have thought Hugh was Scottish, but then again, you've always got the Scots Irish connection. Caldick. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is just it's a. It's a fantastic, uh, fantastic book. Uh, I mean, last issue was a lot of a lot of action, and I think this issue slowed it down a wee bit and did introduce a wee bit more uh, another character and 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 fleshed out the backstory of the characters a bit and the world a wee bit more. And I'm definitely totally invested in what's happening now. And uh, yeah, so we're introduced to Hugh, and Hugh is is uh, is not what he, he first appears and. He does first appear to be like a like a fairy type character, uh, but uh, he's de- there's definitely a darkness to uh, to what he's doing. So yeah, just a just a fantastic fantastic uh, issue. We're moving towards uh, Sorsha and and the next witch, and uh, yeah, it's just, and the art VV Glass's art is stunning, fantastic. It's just uh, it's certainly the best looking book out there. Definitely, I agree with you. One of the one of the one of the best books around. Um, yeah. 
Cool, so that is Last Witch number four. I believe that's going to be five issues in total, so hurtling towards the end of that. And that also brings an end to the honourable mentions for this week as well. So we're just going to move on then to our picks of the week. And there's some there's some nice uh, moments with the picks of the week this week because they're all indie picks, and all three of us are reading all three of them. So plenty to chat about here. So I'm going to kick things off with my pick of the week, and I mentioned the number seven. It appears twice here. So this is Seven Secrets number seven. And again, just like Firepower, uh, it, it's one of those titles that seems to get mentioned every single issue. So... This is the start of a brand new arc in Seven Secrets, and I have to admit, I was not expecting this issue to be what it was, but this issue was amazing. It was full of imagination, great character work, world building, and of course, great dialogue as well. I'm going to make a big statement here. Welcome back to Boom Comics Best Series. Now, that's a statement I do not make lightly. I do not make that lightly, given their output quality over the last few years, but this is Boom's best title. In my humble opinion, he says after Paddy says the last witch is Boom's best series. <laughs> I'm still upset. I had no idea that the last witch is going to end in episode or issue five. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. You can dry your tears with the ongoing masterpiece that is Seven Secrets. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so for those who are new to Seven Secrets, first of all, where have you been? Because we talk about this all the time. But the story follows Casper, who's the son of a keeper and a holder of one of the secrets. So these are seven secrets which have the power to change the world. You know, uh, Casper was never supposed to be born because if you're going to be a protector or a holder, you essentially take a sacred vow and dedicate your life to that secret's protection, not to start a family. But uh, born he was and he's thrust into the role himself of protector long before he's ready. You know, Seven Secrets so far, it's always been very heavily manga influenced. It's been a part adventure story, part secret agent caper, part ancient secret order story. Well, to that you can now add part fantasy. This was one really trippy reintroduction to Casper. Uh, I should say at this point, actually, that the first trade paperback came out this week. <coughs> so for those wanting to catch up, it is readily available. And yes, we do have plenty of copies. Uh, that'll catch up in the first six issues, and then you're, ish, uh, then you're good to go on issue seven. I actually chatted to Vicky about this, and I said issue seven had a lot to live up to, given it will be the only issue to share a number with the title of the story. So it only seems fitting that we learn more about Casper's past. So when the first arc ended, not to go into too heavy a spoilers, but it essentially ended in a way where Casper didn't listen to instructions given to him by more seasoned characters, and he ended up in another dimension, a world in between realities. Here it transpires is actually where Casper spent many of his formative years with uh, a race called Selkies, and those in this dimension are not really so eager for him to leave again. And this was one of the great things about this issue. It started off with these characters being introduced and they come across as threatening, like they mean him harm. But it's actually all about how they don't want him to leave because it goes into his history a lot. It goes into the great times they had essentially raising him. I mean, they were essentially parents to him as well. Um, you know, he has a connection to this place and, you know, they want him to reconnect, I suppose. You know, this has always been a beautiful series to look at, but this was the best best looking issue of this series yet you know between Dina Cullo's artwork uh Walter Bayamonte and Cadio Bernali's colors and Ed Jukesher's lettering this is downright gorgeous you know it's equal parts whimsical equal parts creepy it's like anything unlike anything we've seen in the series so far which has had a bit of a heightened reality but I would say reality nonetheless and I truly hope it'll actually not be the last time we spend an issue here as well 
Uh, and I have to actually finish off by saying a special mention to well-known Superman fan Tom Taylor, including the line, Through an Ocean of Stars, I take on Zod's arrival on Earth in Man of Steel, because they travelled across an ocean of stars. So he's a well-known Superman fan. I don't think that was an accident. Uh, but yeah, just stunning issue, you know, seeing some of his training, seeing some of Casper's younger adventures, you know, I especially enjoyed, I'm sure this was probably one of your favorite moments, Keith, as well, where he's dueling with a well-known knight, uh, which I <laughs> yeah, thought was yeah. great. Uh, and if, if one line sums this entire issue up and how trippy it is and how strange it is, it's uh, on the second last page. Um, one of the characters says, why do you have a sword? Where were you? It's beyond complicated, but I can tell you the Selkies are dicks. <laughs> now it's time yeah. to face the real world. Uh, yeah, just stunning, stunning, stunning issue and a great reminder of why this series is so good. Yeah, the yeah. artwork was unbelievable. It's just every page. I, I, I think I skimmed through it maybe five or six times now and I don't even mean reading it. It just mean looking at the artwork. It was, you know, there were so many where it was dark in the background and you'd get, get characters or you know, sets jumping off the pages. I absolutely loved it. Probably one of my, I don't want to say one of my favourite issues so far from Seven Secrets because they've all been brilliant. But yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It was, uh, it was very, very good. It was a strange, I mean, I feel like the start of the next art is, is, is nearly next issue. This feels like a, like a strange little interlude between the two. Yeah, I wonder um, if the idea of the seventh issue of Seven Secrets was to make it a one-shot. And I, I mean, it could very well, where very well be that. Uh, and I mean, we'll get back to something a wee bit more like reality uh, next, you know, next issue. But but yeah, just just find out a wee bit more about Casper's uh, background, and and obviously part of it was was giving him that sword. So that's going to be interesting, you yeah. know, what that does or what that adds to him and his character. Um, and you know her regret and the fact that that he was raised by them, and you know the mother's regret, uh, I guess, and and just the the weirdness of 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 elves, I guess it that harks back to Boom's other title that we just mentioned, as Paddy said, the Last Witch. Uh, you know, so there's definitely links between those two uh, here. Um, but yeah, this is yeah, just just great stuff. Uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen here because. We, we still have six secrets left, is that right? Yeah. Um, so six secrets, that means two characters per secret. That's a cast of 12 characters. Uh, so we'll be interested to see how how Tom manages that, manages to, to have us care about all of those characters, as I'm sure he will. Um, well, that's you know, it. This, this, was, yeah. this was one of those Boom titles that was actually announced as an ongoing. Boom has a real habit of being a, a publisher that announces six-issue minis. And if they do well, they continue. You know, I always go back to something is killing the children. Initially announced as six issues. Now it's hard to imagine that story being over within six issues. But Seven Secrets was always announced as an ongoing. And I think that you've probably hit the nail on the head there, Keith. That's probably why there are so many characters to give their moment in the sun while also following Casper as your main protagonist through it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think of manga-based stories as well, they're always huge, you know, and that that's definitely where the influence is on this, you know. Um, but it's, it's just so good at turning storytelling tropes on its head. I mean, you think of any stories you've read until now or watched and, you know, and movies, TV, that kind of thing. When a kid is sort of born and put into hiding, it's sort of put in with a normal family so that, you know, they you know they can disappear into the background and no one will be looking for them 
And then you watch this and they've been dropped off to an in-between world with a couple of yeah. Selkies and oh, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, the, what it did do was it really gave uh, Danielle Di Nicciolo the, the, the room to, because this looks totally different from any of the six issues before yeah. it. 100%. Completely different. So it gives you, a, there's a lot of flex here and and being able to create a world that that literally doesn't look like any of the previous six issues at all. Characters that don't look like any of the previous six, you know, six issues worth of characters. Um, totally, yeah, totally trippy. It was a wee bit psychedelic, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But yeah, just really, really impressed with it. And it, it, it just took a nudge to, to be my pick of the week this week. So yeah, Seven Secrets number seven. Can't recommend it highly enough. Again, the first trade is available if you do want to catch up. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. Get on it. It's just great, great storytelling. So, yeah, my pick of the week, Seven Secrets number 7, Tom Taylor and Daniel Dinaculo on art. How about yourself, Keith? What is your pick of the week this week? So my pick of the week, which just edged it over, uh, over Swamp Thing, is the first issue of Image's new uh, horror anthology series. Uh, the silver coin uh, and it, it's an anthology in that each issue will have uh, a, a different writer the same artist i believe a different writer um, and the first issue is the ticket by chip zadarsky and michael walsh so silver coin is a horror anthology it's, it's created by chip zadarsky kelly thompson ed breeson jeff lemire and michael walsh so each issue will have michael walsh on art and will have a different writer um, as, as how I believe they're they're going to do it. Uh, so that's I mean obviously with, with that team or that that group of individuals behind it, it's going to have a lot of a, a lot of kudos with with anybody who's who, who's into comic books, I guess at all. Um, but this one this one edge that I think because of my because of my my music connection, um, you know, I work I work in the music industry and this. This sort of really felt like it, it had me thinking, Alan. Do you remember uh, Gunning for Hits? Oh yes. Uh, so it, it had me thinking a lot like that, but with this, with this uh, horror side of it, and the the central conceit of the the anthology seems to be this silver coin of the title, and the fact that a purse needs to feed. Uh, so this uh, this follows the, uh, the the travails of uh, of a. a a rock band that uh, you know a feeling rock band in 1978 and uh it has it just has i don't know echoes of the monkey's paw and all sorts of stuff to it uh where the uh, the lead guitarist uh, in this in this rock band that uh, they're really not doing well it's 1978 rock is on the way out disco is on the way in and uh you know the the band plays they're playing the seven o'clock slot and this club that it's absolutely empty you know they're doing everything i mean it's just you see it all the time bands playing to to two or three people uh, you see it a lot in belfast um you know and they deserve to be they deserve to be playing to, to a whole lot to a whole lot more um but you know the, the other two members of the band are are uh they're they're in it they love they love playing their friday nights you know but uh but the band leader he wants to he wants to be famous he wants to make it and uh, eventually he finds this, he's found this coin, you know, he finds this coin in a, a box that his mum left behind. Uh, his mum has left his dad and she's got this box, it's this silver coin. You know, he goes to play one evening and uh, he doesn't have a guitar pick or whenever they're, they're, they're jamming. He doesn't have a guitar pick and he uses the coin instead and he plays. 
he plays a set like they have never played before, and uh, only stops whenever he, he rips his finger open on the on the on the guitar strings. So it's you know, and then from from there it goes on to you know they they play another seven o'clock slot and uh, the the band's called Running Red and there's promises they play a slot that uh, like they've never played before and then there's a, a setup to meet a to meet a a record exec and his father tries to take the coin away but you know he's already got that golem esque nope I need it I can't you know the father wants to send it back to the mother it's her lucky coin and you know the idea that maybe maybe it was the lucky coin that gave the mother the strength to leave the father or something and and and, and all of this so it's but it's just really I don't know there was something about it that really even the scene where you know at one stage he's, he's got his finger in a plaster you know, after he after he ripped his finger on the and you know he, he takes the plaster on and he's scratching away at the wound and and uh, you know the blood drips onto the coin because the curse needs to feed and uh, there's there's just some stuff that that happens at the end. You know, he gets the opportunity, the coin gives him that opportunity, but but he doesn't want to take it because he doesn't want to change what they do. So he he, he fucks over the the the, the record executive and you know he's playing this. You know he's playing with the, this band called the Disco Hits and using the coin to play. And there's there's a scene in there. I don't know if you if you saw it at the bottom of the page where you know he's playing the last he's playing this this last gig with a coin. And there's this girl on crutches. She's got a bandaged foot and she's on crutches. And you know when he's playing, she drops her crutches and can't help but dance. But you can see tears streaming down her face. It's 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 really macabre. It's it's kind of horrible. And then. You know he's ripping up his fingers. He's playing like and the blood all over the guitar. It's it's just it's kind of it's a very small thing, but it's really gory and really affecting. Um, and then you know eventually you know the curse the curse must feed and you know he, he the 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 venue goes on fire as a result of this. Nobody can move. Everybody's stuck dancing and it burns he burns alive while he's playing the guitar and 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 the coin moves on. But it's just it just looks looks fantastic i mean michael walsh on it is is brilliant the work is is lovely the shifting in in colors and you know with the energy is running red is on stage playing with a coin and it's just i don't know i just thought it was it was pretty phenomenal stuff i mean I'd, maybe it wouldn't have been my pick of the week if this hadn't been the first story you know what i mean but mm-hmm. but uh yeah, this was just great. I mean, you can nearly read this as a one-shot. You could probably need read any of these as a one-shot, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it'll it's... be interesting to see how they're they're tied together. Certainly, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought it went by very quick. I don't know, it was a very very short story for me, but overall, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you do wonder, as you say, that I think they will be one-shots. But I I think with that scene with his dad, for example. Whereas dad looks back and goes, I do understand. I really do. I wonder if you'll get to see what the coin did to him mm. a little bit, you know, maybe in the past. Uh, he also looks so like Tobias Funke out of the rest of development. That's scary. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just great character work the whole way through. I mean, it's a very well-worn story, but it's told with such sort of energy. And, you know, as you say, it's there's just such a perpetual forward motion to it. You know, you just know that he's, you know, for lack of a better term, he's going to burn out. You know, you just know that's going to be the inevitable conclusion reading it, but you know the character's not going to change his path. But there's a lot of really interesting character moments. I love the idea of the fireman, you know, at the end, you know, where they talk about, oh, Louis here now looking for his fire sale. And there's this, like, 
character with a big smile on his face like what can i find through the wreckage sort of thing uh yeah i i really really dug this as well it's Michael Walsh is not someone whose work I'm overly familiar with, but I think I might have to search out what else he's done because, as you say, he both draws this, colours it, and does the letters. So clearly a, a master of all trades. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, for sure. And it just, it, it does look, it looks fantastic, fantastically realised sort of throughout. And, you know, the, the change in the change in colours is great, but it's just as well, the story just, it's, it, it's, it relates to, you know, those musicians who we have come to associate just to have been too good to be to be human. You know, the idea of Robert Johnson selling his soul to Satan at the crossroads. You know, the the you know the 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 boys and the the Zeppelins. You know, and the you know all of those sorts of. So it it, it it's it draws upon the stuff of really fantastic blues songs, but I mean, his the the his desperation i think it's it's ryan ryan the front man his desperation is really really captured there and then whenever he can't you know he's like i can't i, I can't stop playing to the point that there's a cigarette dropped and you know he, he's burning alive with his guitar in his hand that he can't stop playing with his coin and that's it was just unbelievable and then just as you say that last scene of you know the 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 skeletal hand with the the flesh torn off the finger and the guitar in the background just holding the coin as the coin the coin survives and 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 moves on uh yeah just a just a lovely complete story yeah up there up there for me this week as well i thought uh it's it's a sort of interesting one as well because it's horror mixed with music and that's what you know we were chatting about blue and green being but it's a very different story to what blue and green is from from ram v but Mm. yeah great first issue and and again, we we talked about this a little bit just before we started recording. But you know, we're when it comes to comics and it comes to the store and what we recommend. A lot of the times, you're recommending writers because writers are obviously more prolific and <coughs> buying out ten stories a year, whereas art obviously takes more time. But usually, when it comes to anthology series like this, it's one writer and a different artist each issue. Mm-hmm. This is unique in that it's the same artist every issue, but a different writer. So it's. So it's a really unique uh, from that point of view as well, and uh, we just want to make sure we always push the artists, you know. It sort of uh, it falls back to, um, I mean, this is how Vertigo started in the nineties was anthology stories, and how the, the EC horror comics where they were all anthology stories. So this is uh, this is kind of cool. If that if that became an image thing, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. No, definitely not. Definitely not. So, yeah, so great choice there from uh, Chip Zdarsky and Michael Walsh. That was the Silver Coin, number one. I believe that's going to be a five-issue anthology series, certainly for the first volume anyway. We'll see if it goes further than that. So we'll finish off then with uh, Paddy's Pick of the Week, which, once again, is an indie title. Uh, What have you got for us? Yes, I went for Gagger, number one, by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Uh, I think I added this on the pool list quite late. And what a first issue. Uh, kind of kicks off, it's set in a, a post-apocalyptic world. The first kind of scene you're introduced to is uh, two scientists talking about the myth of this uh, glowing man, uh, Joe Glow, the meltdown man, uh, a fictionist character who kind of, his real name was Tariq Geiger. And they then go into his story. So his story was, it's July 2030. 
and there's a nuclear attack, he has preempted this. He's built a bunker for his family, and you know, gets his family to safety. But just as he goes to rescue the dog, one of the neighbors shows up and shoots him, and and tries to claim, tries to claim his uh, his bunker, but he's having none of it. He says, you know, he's not having none of his land shot, so he doesn't get much of a say. <laughs> but he uh, he tells his family, no, listen, close up. This is, you know. I'll die and then at that point we, we kind of see the nuclear bomb go off we'll fast forward then 20 years and you know there's another team I think it's a different team of scientists that are out and they they bump into him and you, you kind of see the, the skills set then you know it, it looks like, I don't want to say it looks like he's got younger but he doesn't look as old or something as, as when before the bomb uh, yeah so he's Kick ass, just absolutely wipes out this this crew with with no problem at all, uh, and one of them gets away. Now the one that gets away then kind of ends up. Actually, before that, there's a touching scene where he goes back to the bunker, and I I know you can't hear me, but I'm here until it's safe to open the door and we can be a family again. So you don't really know if his his family have perished or if they're still down in the bunker. Uh, but yeah, kind of then. Fast forward, we the guy who escaped goes and meets a character that I would, I would maybe describe as a bit like King Joffrey out of Game of Thrones was the the vibe I got from him. You know, a, a kind of a brat child who wants to prove something as king. So what he's going to do to prove this, he's in a castle by the way. What he's going to do to prove this is kill the glowing man. But then on the last page, we find out that he's not actually in a castle. He's in Las Vegas. Or, or what what's left of Las Vegas, and it's the the Camelot Hotel. This kind of remained. This started off reminding me very much of one of my favorite horror films, The Hills Have Eyes. Oh yeah, that's a good choice. The remake, Definitely the remake, remake. yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of it, I was like, oh, this is like Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> uh, two things of which I absolutely love. So uh, I think that's why I enjoyed this so much. But yeah, I mean, what a what an opening issue. Even the the stuff on the back, you know. I think you're introduced or there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven characters or, or seven pictures and, you know, brief descriptions of who they are. So I think they could possibly be be playing a part to come. And then on the, the next page is what, you know, would, would be the equivalent of a trailer, you know, what next time in, in, in Gagger. But yeah, this, I, I absolutely love this. Thought it was a very, very strong issue. Yeah, I mean, it was a really solid one uh, for me. I mean, I thought it was... It had everything in there. There was a bit of tragedy, a bit of terror. There was a really good, uh, really nice plot. There was a, a lovely, lovely setting, building, and a wee bit of suspense. And uh, there was enough momentum to carry it forward. I, I love that bit at the end, actually, the revelation that we're in Las Vegas and that the, the king is just one of a number of crime lords uh, who who runs Las Vegas, you know, and they, they all have various like genres he he's in the camelot hotel so he's like king arthur and you've got a you know you've got a guy who's living in the in the pirate hotel of goldbeard so he's like a pirate and uh yeah there's a guy named karloff karloff who is who has the karloff hotel and and he's uh i guess more like you know a 1930s horror movie you know so really interested in, in what's going to happen I think uh, Gary Frank and who is it? It's Brad Anderson's a colorist. They do they do fantastic. I mean, you, 
every page is is nearly like a masterpiece, you know, as as you sort of nearly expect from Gary Frank. I just hope that they can get it out on time. Uh, you know, they can they can keep up the keep up the momentum. Um, so yeah, really, as a, I absolutely had that Fallout vibe as well, Paddy, as you might expect. Um, I definitely had that uh, that uh, nuclear apocalypse as envisioned by Americans in the 1950s. Yep. Uh, vibe to it. Um, so yeah, I'd, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, really interested in finding out who who uh, who Tarek Geiger is, you know, and who he know, was and who he now is as as Joe Glow, the meltdown man, you know. Um, yeah, really, really, and. I think there's going to be tragedy there because I get the feeling that the only thing that's keeping him going is the idea that his family are still down there, and I really don't think they are, <laughs> or maybe they are, and that's not what he wants. But uh, yeah, very, very interesting. What do you think, Alan? Yeah, absolutely loved it. It was it was up there again as another potential pick of the week. It just felt like a really confident story. You know, part of that is to do with how great the art is. The world building is great through it. There's tons of little details to it as well, which I think are great. You know going back to like the little calendar beside the tv showing what date that the nuclear attack took off based on the days it's crossed off you know when you also get um reintroduced to you know Tarek later on he has a dog with two heads but they don't really call loads of attention to it you know but it's obviously (laughs) to do with some sort of uh nuclear sort of manifestation almost you know you've got the details of you're guessing he's scoring down how many days behind him there when he's sitting eating his beans uh later on there's just loads of interesting details and yeah the last four pages you know i i hate using the expression but i can't think of a better one just totally threw me for a loop i I was not expecting castles i was not expecting a guy with a crown on his head i was not expecting like like edwardian type sort of then whenever they whenever they throw it into context there Oh, by the time you got to the last page, it was fantastic. But it just it just threw me completely for for a bit. I was like, "Why is there a castle here? And is this going to turn into some sort of time travel story or something?" And then obviously you get the the whole Las Vegas thing. Uh, The character reminded me of Farquaad out of Shrek, for lack (laughs) lack of a better comparison. But yeah, brilliant storytelling. I mean, I can only hope that the reason doomsday clock didn't come out on time is because he was actually secretly working on this in the background but cashing checks from dc the whole time so uh yeah really confident start great team working together like even just the cover alone is just is just awesome you know that mushroom cloud with sort of the skull motif in it and you know a character welcoming it and yeah just everything about it and then yeah the wee back matter bits and pieces just again add to that world building so yeah, stellar stuff all around. Really strong, uh, really strong start. So yeah, that is Geiger number one. Uh, that is written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank, and colors by Brad Anderson. Also known also known as the Doomsday Clock Team. So yeah, that brings an end to the reviews then for releases on the seventh of April. So. We'll finish off just quickly then with our usual uh, rundown of what we're looking forward to most this new comic book day. Uh, I'll let Paddy go first because he's essentially picked my three. So <laughs> I went for a DC slash Batman hat trick. Uh, the Joker number two continues from James Tinian. Uh, Batman the Detective One from Tom Taylor. And then lastly, I went for Batman Urban Legends 2, hoping it carries on the 
the strength of the the first issue yeah i mean i think with urban legends it's going to continue on the the grifter story which is matthew rosenberg it's going to continue on the uh jason todd centric story from chip zadarsky and then i think there might be one or two other uh one shots in there and then yeah batman the detective number one you know you've got the artist of superman up in the sky and the cubert doing that six issue mini with tom taylor and then yeah joker number two joker number one was was fantastic so yeah three very solid choices there unsurprisingly uh but yeah for my three i went with canto in the city of giants because of course i always have to recommend our little tin knight this is like a little three issues side quest story so david m boer the original creator is writing drew zucker the original artist is doing covers but there's a new artist coming on board which is sebastian perez so uh looking forward to that this is basically going to be a bridge between canto to the hollow men which just recently finished and the upcoming already announced canto 3 uh next up for me is spider-man spider's shadow which i only noticed today when i unpacked the delivery has a very subtle little logo in the top right hand corner oh it does and i'm very glad to see it yeah very so glad to see it a very uh, historic a... marvel line why don't you tell us what that is keith that would be the, the, the logo of What If, or a new logo for What If, which, uh, you know, the, the idea of What If is What If um, uh, Spider-Man was a member of the Fantastic Four, or What If, uh, you know, they, they just, they posited all these sorts of things, and I guess part of it is because there's a new What If TV series coming out, animated TV series coming out as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, but yeah, really glad to see the see the what if uh, logo re-expressed. Yeah, and in this case for Spider-Man, Spider Shadow, this is number one of a four-issue mini, and it is what if Peter Parker became Venom. Peter Parker once put on an alien suit that nearly destroyed his life, but what if he had never taken it off? Ignoring every warning, Spidey embraces the dark symbiote, haunted by terrible nightmares and exhausted by an endless barrage of bad guys. Peter can't seem to catch a break these days. So when the Hobgoblin attacks, he finds a hero at the end of his rope and vulnerable to new dark impulses. And of course, the reason we're looking forward to this is Chip Zdarsky on writing duties, did such stellar work on Spider-Man Life Story, and the art on this one is Pascal Ferry. So really, really looking forward to that. And then my final pick of the week is actually another Marvel pick of the week. Jeez, look at me with two Marvel books. And once again, it's Chips Adarsky of Marvel. So uh, there's definitely a pattern here. So yeah, always looking forward to a new issue of Daredevil. Number 29 hits this week. Uh, series regular artist Marco Cicchetto's on this one. The truth is finally out that Elektra is Daredevil. Having taken up the cowl in the club in Matt Murdock's absence, Elektra, the deadliest assassin in the Marvel Universe, has a long road ahead as she works to protect the legacy of the man without fear. Old foes, new faces, lost loves. So yeah, looking forward to this as always. <laughs> Daredevil 29. Um, oh, what are your three picks, Keith? Uh, I am kicking off with Thor 14, which I know we're all looking forward to. The finale of Prey and the fight for Thor's life. All Father Thor breaks out of his prison, but Donald Blake has amassed more power than the King of Asgard can know. One thing is certain, when the hammer comes down, only one man remains standing. Big action and big stakes are the Donny Cates and Nick Klein special, but you've never seen them like this before. This is the issue you cannot miss, and I know we are none of us going to miss it. So, as mentioned, Donny Cates uh, on writing, Nick Klein on art. So, Thor 14 uh, for myself. Uh, next up, another Marvel, uh, and that is uh, Dark, Hawk, Dark Hawk, Heart of the Hawk, number one. 
So one shot from uh, Tom DeFalco, uh, Mike Manley, and uh, Kyle Higgins, along with Dan Abnett, Danny Fingeroth, uh, Andrea DeVito, uh, Juan Ramirez, the whole underworld, the massive number of creators on this. But it's celebrating the 30th anniversary of the 90s hottest hero in three spectacular stories. First, an untold story from Darkhawk's early days by creators Danny Fingroth and Mike Manley. Then explore the winged hero's cosmic years with Dan Abnett and uh, Andrea DeVito. And then finally, what the future holds for Darkhawk by Kyle Higgins and more. So uh, looking forward to, to that. And then lastly, I don't know who else is on this. I know this is a, a big one for Roddy, but Chariot number two from uh, AWA. Uh, I really enjoyed the first issue of this by Brian Hill and Priscilla Petretis. And what it was, was Chariot was a Cold War era secret government project to provide its star agent with a weapon unlike any other in the form of a supercharged muscle car. It sank into the ocean decades ago and the agent along with it. Now a petty criminal looking to reform his life has stumbled upon the chariot and what he's about to find out about the agent's consciousness still controlling it. It's it's like a it's like a, a night rider flipping takeoff. It's synthwave thrills. It's really, really fantastic. So first issue was great. Chariot number two from uh, from AWA. So if you, I don't know if you still have any of the first issue in stock, do you, Alan? Yeah, I, um, in a very excited moment today, actually, I, I set up the new release racks for the first time in about five months, and uh, I'll be putting pictures out on social media tomorrow. So although people can't come into the store if they see titles they're excited about, they uh, they can send us a message. But one of the ones I set up was Chariot number two, and then nestled in behind it was Chariot number one. Yeah, this is very much yeah. Drive meets Knight Rider. Uh, as you say, it's very that. Much. I really enjoyed it. I, I will always jump on any AWA title because it's a label I've been collecting from the start. And yeah, really, really strong first issue. Just a lot of fun and definitely aimed at 80s and 90s kids like ourselves. So uh, very much looking forward to that as well. So yeah, that's going to bring an end to it for us this week then. So that's the best titles of... Wednesday the 7th of April and what we're looking forward to come this new comic book day the 14th of April just to finish off of course if uh, you do want to get down to the store we are once again open for click and collect services Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays from 10 until 5 o'clock every day so come pick up your pull list and have a little peek into the store you can get a little sense of the, the kind of things we've been doing before you get the, the full experience once we get reopened properly so uh tons of fun as always there gentlemen and uh thank you very much for your company and the chat mm -hmm.